This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. So just for a moment, one more time, I know we already said this uh, to all the dads, just thanks. Happy Father's Day. Um, You give a lot, and we just honor you this morning, and I... uh, I was going to like, let's clap for the dads right now, but after that, that doesn't quite feel right. So what I want to do is, I just want to pray for the dads real quick. So if there's, uh, if you're a dad in here, would you just raise your hand really quick? Raise your hand, all right. If there's a dad near you, just go ahead and put your hand on them. If you're sitting next to a dad and you are a dad, just put your hands on each other. Let's just pray for the dads. God, we thank you for um, the, the picture that we see in Scripture is that you're our Father, and uh, that you're the perfect father that we could uh, never be, but at the same time, you have given us your heart. You've put your spirit inside of us. And so for every father here, um, God, I just pray that um, you would continue to grow those attributes of you and them, that we could be healthy examples to our family, kind of like in the video that we just saw, Lord, that you would let us be examples of your love um, and that you would let the fathers uh, be fathers that example and show you uh, to their kids as well as to others. Uh, We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I've got to, right up front, I'm going to have to give a disclaimer because I'm all sorts of messed up now. (laughs) So here's the deal. Um, It's Father's Day, and it's pretty cool to be able to be up here today because um, most of you probably know, but some of you don't know maybe yet that I'm not too long ago, found out I'm going to be a dad for the first time. And so, uh, and it's amazing to me how much changes in you the instant you find that out. Um, so, was it a few months ago? Today, my wife is 16 weeks pregnant. And uh, in that, uh, the day that she told me, it was a Wednesday night, so I'd been up here with the teenagers. We had... 180 that Wednesday night, and Wednesday is my longest day of the week. I come up here at 8.30, and I leave here at like 9 p.m., and so I'm, I'm here all day. It's the long day, and but it's a great day. I love it. By the end of the day, when I get home, I'm zapped, and um, so I got home that Wednesday night, and uh, I walk in the house, and my great Dane Penelope, she's greeting me, and I'm petting her, and down the hall, I hear my wife say, hey, sweetie. And I'm like, yeah. And she says, uh, I made something sweet for you. And I was like, nice. My immediate thought is brownies because she knows I love brownies and she's made brownies for me from time to time because she's an awesome wife. And uh, so I'm thinking brownies and she's like, yeah, they're in the, uh, I made something sweet for you in the oven. And so I'm like, awesome. So I go in the kitchen and uh, I open the oven and there's a bun sitting there. <laughs> and... <laughs> And so I see it, thick skull exhaustion is what I blame, but I see the bun, and I'm like, I'll be honest, for a fraction of a second, I was disappointed, because <laughs> in my heart, I saw brownies, but there's the bun there, and so I'm thinking, a bun? And so then I'm like, okay, she must have got on Pinterest and found out some way to make a sweet dessert out of a bun somehow or something, so... I pick it up, I grab it out of the oven, I open the hamburger bun, and I am just puzzled, not putting two and two together. And as I look back at this, I'm just like, how dumb. 
did I not realize what was going on? I'm holding this bun in my hands. I looked down the hall where I heard her, and I said, a bun? And and in classic no-duh fashion, she peeks her head around the corner like, and then I go, and uh, then the waterworks cues, and, uh, and we hugged and all that kind of stuff. And like I said, I can't, I can't even explain, and all you dads I'm sure know, as well as moms too, um, that that moment that you learn you're going to be a dad, um, how much the world changes that moment. Um, I don't know how we're going to get through this sermon. <laughs> so um, so that, that moment, everything changed. I'm sitting here thinking, so many thoughts running through my brain like, like, oh, yay, and oh, no. And like, like sitting there thinking, you know, okay, I can't just recle- recklessly spend money on golf anymore. <laughs> like, I've got to really budget and plan that stuff out. And uh, I can't just, like, my perspective on so many things just, boom, changed. And that's what happens when the Father's heart comes into you. And it's so funny because at that moment, she was just like, I don't know, five weeks pregnant, I think, and it's like, the baby's like this big at that point, but it's just been so amazing over the last so many, um, like nine weeks or so, how much I've started to learn more about the heart of God, um, because I'm becoming a father, and God's, God is our father, and I'm just like, I don't even know this little girl yet, uh, but I'm like, <laughs> I don't know how I'm ever going to tell her no. I'm like, I don't know how I'm like ever going to let a boy say hi to her without going to jail from like beating him to a pulp. Uh, It's like, gosh, I'm going to be the father in bars or something. No, I'm just like, oh man, I messed up. Because when I found out it was a girl too, it was a different thing. Like at one point you're sitting there, boy, girl, and when it's a boy, it's like, all right, I'm going to teach him how to hunt and fish and how to, how to treat ladies and everything like that. When it's a girl, they told us, you know, it's a girl. And I'm like, oh, snap. I don't know how to do girl. I, help, God. <laughs> but uh, we're, we're beyond excited, beyond blessed. Today, um, um, it's, it's funny. It's changed my heart in so many ways, but it's also changed my perspective um, of other people's kids, of others. Um, so the title of my message, if you're taking notes today, is called Some People's Kids. <laughs> now, some of you have heard that phrase before and maybe even uttered that phrase before, like you've been in Walmart and you see the other person's kids and they're acting a certain way and you just look at your spouse and you're like, some people's kids, let me tell you. But when the Father's heart comes into you, it ought to change the way you see other people's kids. Cause, and, and I can give an example here. Uh, this last year, I drove school bus for the city of Kiel. That's where Katie and I live. And um, through the beginning of the school year, for a while, you're driving school bus, and uh, you've got to have a special grace for that. And there's kids on the bus that it's like their goal when they wake up in the morning is, I'm going to try to drive my bus driver insane. <laughs> and so uh, pray for bus drivers. But there was uh, this one kid in particular um, that he, that was like his agenda when he got on the bus in the morning, like he steps up on the bus, makes eye contact with me, and I can see in his eyes, he's like, I'm going to give you mess today, like you're not going to enjoy this. And so I had some fun interactions with him, um, 
disciplining him. And it's so funny because for a while, my goal for him was like, sit down, be quiet, behave, and let me get you to school. Um, then I found out I was going to be a father. And it was so funny how my perspective and interactions with those kids began to change. This one kid that was that kid, um, towards the end of the school year, after I'd found out that I was going to be a dad, I started to think, like, what's his home situation? What is his relationship with his parents like? What is he going through that might be causing him to act this way? And how can I positively influence him to where there was one time uh, we were driving one morning and all of a sudden an M&M flew by my head, hit the windshield and fell down the ground and I'm looking in the mirror, you know, looking at all the faces, who's guilty, who's not looking at me. That's the catch right there. And, uh, and he's sitting behind another student who likes to act up a lot. And so that other student, he's sitting behind him and in the mirror, he's like, you know, pointing at him. And I'm like, huh, okay. So that other student, I'm like, we're driving. And I'm like, Josh, what's going on? And Josh is like, what? And I'm like, an M&M just flew by my head. And Josh is like, I didn't do it. It wasn't me. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to look on the video and we'll find out. And he's like, all right, look on the video. We'll find out. So I looked on the video, come to find out the child who was doing the pointing was the one who actually threw it. And so the next day, when I wanted to just light him up and chew him out, he got on and I said, I said, Grover, what, uh, I said, what, what's the, what, I looked on the video and I saw, you know, you said Josh did that when, when you did that. And he, you know how kids do. He goes, no, you asked where it came from. And I said it came from over here. And I'm like, no, sir, don't try and spin this stuff on me. No, sir. And so long story short, I didn't just say, well, I wrote you up. You're in trouble. You can't do that. I found myself going, Grover, why would you try and throw someone else under the bus? Well, there's a nice little metaphor with the bus, but I said, why would you try and throw someone else under the bus? I said, you're better than that. I said, you're better than that. Don't do that. And uh, when I could have just been like, don't do that, that's wrong, I'm like, I have an opportunity here to try and influence this kid in a positive way, and I think that's what the Father Heart does. Now today, we're going to be going through the book of Philemon, the entire book. Don't worry, it's just one chapter. Um, But Philemon is an awesome book. It's a little letter that Paul wrote to a man named Philemon. Let me give you a little backstory real quick. There was a man named Philemon who was a very, very wealthy businessman in uh, in Colossae. And uh, this man, Paul, had ministered to him, shared the gospel to him, and he had become a Christian. And he had a very large estate. He was a very wealthy man. He had a huge house. And what he would do was he would welcome the Christians in the community into his house, and that's where they would have church. Because they didn't have church buildings. We didn't have church buildings like this until about the uh, the third century. And so early Christianity took place in homes. Churches met in homes. And so uh, Philemon had a massive, huge house. And so he's like, let's meet in my house, let's have church in my house. And so they did that. Now, I have to give one disclaimer in that if I don't explain this really quickly, some of the stuff's not going to make sense and it's going to make us go, well, how is that right? Back in this time, in Bible days, there was still a culture of slavery, okay? That was um, an economy in that day. Slaves, people had slaves. And so that was not something... The Bible's not condoning slavery, saying that's okay, but that was the economy of that day. And if you're wondering, well, why didn't Paul address 
slavery and try and abolish slavery. And I really think it's just because Paul's calling was to preach the gospel, get people saved, teach the gospel, explain it, break it down, and know that over time the gospel would eventually destroy slavery because you can't believe in the gospel and not have it change your heart towards people like that, realizing that God loves everyone and sees everyone the same. So having said that, um, there was a man named Onesimus who was a slave of Philemon, and Onesimus had run away And not only did he run away, he stole some money from Philemon before he ran away, and he ran away. Now, back in this time, if a slave were to run away, it was big, big, big no-no. Like, if they catch you, they would have either severely beaten you or have you put to death. Like, that's how serious of a crime they saw slavery as for someone who ran away. And it's just important you understand that as we go further and read this passage in Philemon. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to Philemon. If you don't have a Bible, we have some hard black, uh, hardback black ones in the back that you can uh, open up and borrow for the day and read for yourself. So Paul is in prison at this time. Um, and Philemon, is he had once ministered the gospel to Philemon. Philemon became a Christian. Paul's in prison at this point, so he's away from Philemon, and as Paul is in prison, somehow, after Onesimus had ran away, we don't know if he got arrested for a minute or if he just came by the prison, we don't know, but Paul also ministered the gospel to Onesimus, and Onesimus became a Christian. Onesimus got saved, and Onesimus then becomes a disciple of Paul. He hangs out with Paul. Paul mentors him. Paul becomes a spiritual father to Onesimus. They grow a great bond, a great relationship, and because of that, we're going to see some interesting things unfold. So Philemon chapter 1, which there's only one chapter, starting in verse 1, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier at the church in your house. So he's just saying who all this letter's to. This letter's to Philemon. When he says Apphia, our sister, we're pretty sure that that's Philemon's wife, And then when he says Archippus, our fellow soldier, we're also pretty sure that he was probably their pastor because he says, as the church that meets in your house, Archippus was probably the pastor of that church. And then verse three was the traditional Christianized greeting. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's just saying, hey, this is who all the letters to. And he's like, greetings, grace and peace from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse four, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have delivered or I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So right here, Paul stops for a second. He's like, hey, I am so overjoyed at the reports I'm hearing about you. I'm hearing that you have a great faith. I'm hearing that you love God's people well, that you're serving God really, really well. And so every time I hear about you, I'm tremendously blessed. I'm tremendously encouraged. And it's just overjoying me. Going on in verse eight, he says, accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, 
an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you. Interesting. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but out of your own accord, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So we're going to pause there for a moment. What we see already, Onesimus comes there, he meets Paul, Paul ministers the gospel to him, tells him about the love of Jesus, shares with him about how Christ died for our sins. Onesimus becomes a child of God, just like Paul's a child of God, just like Philemon's a child of God. And so this runaway slave who, by law, could be beaten severely, could be punished to death, Paul is saying, this guy, I have now become his spiritual father. He's my child in the faith. And notice, what's the first thing that he says? I'm going to send him back to you, but here's the thing. He says, I could demand this of you. Since the authority that God's given me as an apostle, I could just say, hey, Philemon, take Onesimus back and treat him well. I command this from God as an apostle of God. He has the right to command that, but he doesn't. In the book of Philemon, we see some very strong dominant principles in the gospel. The first being that the father cares about your attitude more than he cares about your action. He cares about your attitude more than he cares about your action. Because check this out. He had every right to just say, hey, I'm sending Onesimus back to you. And as I send him back to you, treat him well. I know he did some some funky stuff, but let's just go ahead and forgive him because I'm the spiritual boss and I'm telling you that's what you need to do. Now, he could have done that and he could have got desired result from Philemon. Philemon would have accepted him back if he was a genuine Christian and accepted Paul's authority as an apostle. He would have accepted Onesimus back and he would have treated him well. But what would have his heart been like? He would have been sitting there going, lousy, no good, two-bit, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Dude ran away. Okay, Paul says I got to take him back. I guess I will. All right, so go and take care of this and go and do that. Yeah, and then get out of my sight. Leave me alone. Paul wasn't interested in that scenario. Paul didn't just want him to do what he wanted him to do. He wanted to take a moment to teach why he wanted him to receive him that way. And this is interesting for us fathers because it's kind of the difference between, hey, go clean your room. Why? Because I said so. And the go clean your room. Why? Because it's important to have discipline and order and keep our house clean. It's the difference in the because I said so and actually giving a reason why. It's the difference in giving a man a fish and teaching a man to fish. Paul wasn't just trying to get one desired result from Philemon. He was trying to teach Philemon how to think 
as a child of God. He was trying to tell him, listen, I could just tell you what to do, but I'm not interested in just telling you what to do. I want you to want to do it. And so because of that, I'm going to talk a little bit more and explain some things here to you. And the principle here is that God cares more about your attitude and what you're doing. He cares more about that than just what you're doing. This goes into your giving. He doesn't, God doesn't care just that you give. God doesn't have some slate where he's like, all right, how much did you give this week? You gave enough. All right. It's not about how much as much as God's going, all right, what's your heart right now while you're giving? Are you giving because you feel obligated or anything like that? Or why are you volunteering? Are you volunteering and serving in the church because you felt guilty when Pastor Derek last time talked about volunteering? Because if so, that's not the right thing. It's you should volunteer out of a joyful heart, out of what God has given you and what God has done for you. The genuine response is to give and to serve. So the principle here is that we see throughout the Bible, God doesn't just look at what you're doing. And this is a challenge because it's really easy to do the right thing with the wrong heart. It's really easy to go ahead and put on the face and do the right thing, but the Father sees your heart while you're doing it. And so it's more important that you guard your heart, contend to put your heart in the right place more than you contend to do the right thing. Having said that, what we see continuing on in this, va- in this passage is that God, God does care that you do the right thing. God cares that you do the right thing. Because what did we just see right here? We see there's the slave Onesimus who ran away, stole money. He wronged Philemon. He gets to Paul. Paul preaches the gospel to him. He becomes a Christian. And because of that, Paul goes, okay, I've trained you. I've discipled you. I've taught you the gospel. Now we got to make this thing right. He says, I'm going to send you back to Philemon. Can you imagine what goes through Onesimus' head at that time? When Paul says, I'm going to send you back to Philemon. Onesimus is sitting here thinking, he's going to beat me. They're going to beat me. They might put me to death because I committed a severe crime against them. But Paul saw Onesimus as a child, as his spiritual child. He had the father's heart for Onesimus. And he's like, listen, I'm going to send you back, but I'm not going to send you back empty-handed. I'm going to send you back with a letter to Philemon. And I'm going to remind him of a few things. I'm going to tell him, one, how much I love you. I'm going to tell him how you've become a child of God, which makes you spiritual brothers. I'm going to tell him a few things, and I'm going to make sure that we take care of you. Let's keep on reading. We stopped at verse 16. So verse 17. So if you consider me your partner... Receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. And right here he says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. And so sometimes when you see that in Scripture, when they say, I write this with my own hand, you'll see Paul do that sometimes. He's really trying to make a point that he really means this, that it's authentic, it's sincerely him, and he wants you to pay attention. He says, if, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. 
At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit. So, we see that God cares about the attitude behind our actions more than he cares about our actions because he spent this whole deal saying, I could require this of you, I could command this of you, but I'm not going to do that. I'm more interested in you wanting to do the right thing. And then beyond that, we see from this passage that God cares that we do the right thing because Paul could have said, okay, I got you saved, Onesimus. You're a child of God. Now, there's some awkward things back in Colossae. Uh, Let's send you off over to this region over here to be a missionary. He could have even kept him there to serve him in prison, but he didn't do that. He recognized, hey, Onesimus, you have wronged Philemon, and because of that, we need to go make this right. Since you're brothers in Christ, we need to make this right. And what we see from the Father's heart is that, yes, he does care about doing the right thing, but ultimately, here's one of the most dominant, huge principles that we see in Scripture, is that God cares about forgiveness and reconciliation. God cares about forgiveness and reconciliation. That's in the Father's heart. He sends him back. Because notice, what does he say to Philemon? He says, I'm sending him back to you. And he says some things that sound like a father's heart. He says, if he owes you anything, which we know he did, if he owes you anything, charge it to my account. Like Philemon's going to go, oh, okay, I'll swap that over to your tab. Is he going to do that? No. That's why Paul says, if he owes you anything, charge it to me. I will repay you. But let me notice, let you notice this, that I'm going to write this with my own hand. Don't charge him anything. And I won't even mention that you owe me your very soul. Kind of just mentioned it right there. What is he saying? He's saying, remember, this guy might have debts against you, but you had debts against God. And had I not come and taught you the gospel, you'd still be dead in sin. You'd still be lost you'd still be hopeless. So if you're thinking about holding those debts over Onesimus' head, don't forget that you had debts to God and you were forgiven of them. That's why there's a parable that Jesus teaches about a king that had a man who owed him a huge debt. That man pleaded with mercy to the king. The king forgave that debt. And then that man goes home and requires a smaller, much, much less significant debt from his servant. The king hears about it gets hacked off and says, hey, you're going to repay your full debt now. I forgave you of all this and you're not going to forgive him because here's the thing we need to realize. There is no wrong that anyone has committed against you that is greater than the sin that you committed against God. Now, I'm not trying to guilt you for your sin. I'm trying to put in proper context your unforgiveness. Anytime you choose not to forgive someone, You're saying that the way that they wronged you is worse than the way that you wronged God. And friends, that's not true. That's not true. Now, I'm not trying to downplay what someone might have done to you. I know we have, many of us us have experienced severe pain. Many of us have experienced incredible hurt at the hands of someone else. Many of us have been done wrong. And although that may have hurt 
in ways that I'm, I can't explain or communicate, although that may have hurt in ways that maybe I don't even understand, I promise you, it wasn't more than our treason against God. And if God can forgive us our sins, we have no right to withhold forgiveness from anyone else. This is the Father's heart. Remember, Onesimus running away as a slave could have led to a severe beating and even death. And we see right here in Philemon, in this letter to Philemon, Paul says, I want you to take him back. He says, but I don't want you to take him back as a slave. He says, I want you to take him back now as a brother. I want you to take him back as a brother. Because here's the deal. This is a winning scenario for Philemon anyways, because if I was, say, building a house, and I had the option to have a couple slaves help me build the house, or my two brothers help me build the house, I'm going to choose my two brothers. Why? Because it's not me just saying, hey, do this, do that, and they begrudgingly do it and try and just get the job done. If my brothers are helping me build a house, they're going to help me think about things. They're going to, they're going to think, what do you need to, uh, you need to consider this. You need to be worried about this. Let's, I'm not sure that this is going to be the safest. Let's make sure that we build this right. My brothers who care for me and I care for them it would be a different experience building with them. And so Paul is saying, listen, it's more beneficial to you that you accept him back as a brother. He may not have been useful to you before, but he's useful to you now. God's heart is forgiveness and reconciliation. Some of you today might be sitting here holding and harboring bitterness and unforgiveness towards someone. And the Lord's dealing with you right now on that. There is no one, no one, that we cannot forgive because God has forgiven us of our sins. God has forgiven us, and so we, as children of God, you could sit here and same thing, I could say you have to forgive. I could go, you better forgive. It's in the scripture, it's all throughout there. But rather than just say you have to, you're commanded to because you are in scripture, I want you to understand we've wronged God and God has forgiven us. And there's no sin that anyone has committed against you that you cannot or should not forgive. We see this letter as a great story of the Father's heart because Paul sees Onesimus as his child of God or as his child in God. He cares for him, and because of that, he's like, we're going to do the right thing. And here's my challenge to you. When I was in Bible school, there was a saying, there was a phrase that they said over and over that it stuck with me. It's really good. Because a lot of times we want to do the right thing with a good reason. But what they drilled into me at Bible school was, do the right thing when it's right, or do what's right when it's right, just because it's right. Do what's right when it's right, just because it's right. Because a lot of times we'll try and make excuses or only do what's right when we can logically reason it out like it's fair this time that I do what's right. You know, I'll forgive them if they forgive me because that would be right of them. So I'll make it right if they do right. And, And Paul is saying, no, let's forgive. Don't forget that you owe your very soul so you can forgive him of some money and of running away because you owe God your very soul. Do what's right just because it's right, and do it when it's right. He didn't put it off and delay. He said, no, I'm going to send you back now. We're going to make this situation right. And we see the Father's heart 
throughout this entire letter, throughout this entire story. Paul didn't see Onesimus just as a check mark. Hey, I got another person saved. On to the next. He said, nope. Now that you're a child of God, let's make this situation right. Let's do what's right. Let's cause forgiveness and reconciliation to take place. And in the process, I'm not going to just require this of Philemon. I'm going to ask it of him because I want his heart to be in it as well. How many of you parents know there's a difference when you ask your child to do something and like ask your child to clean their room and I was like, fine. Slam the door. Throw stuff here and all that kind of stuff. I did it. There's a difference in that and when they obey with a good attitude, right? That's what God wants from us. Think about how much that irks you. Now, I'm not trying to, on Father's Day, make you go, oh, kids. But think about that, how that makes you feel as a parent. And God, as our Father, our perfect Father, when our attitude is wrong in doing the right thing, the Father's heart is sitting there going, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. I don't want you just to clean your room. I want the right attitude when you do what I ask you to do. That is the Father's heart. And I used to sometimes think, God, why did you give us the Father as the example of your relationship with us? Because many people had bad fathers. And even on Father's Day, as we think about this and as we talk about this, many of you had bad fathers. I had a great father. My dad was awesome. I love my dad so much, and he was a great father. And although he was a great father, there were times, sure, because he was a human, that he failed me, just like I'm a human, and I've probably failed some of you in this room. We've all failed each other because we're humans. And, and I would think, God, really? It, it was easy for me to understand because I have a good father. When I look at my dad's relationship to me and go, okay, I get that, how, God, you're a father that you love for me, you care for me, you provide for me, you protect me, you want what's best for me. And, but then I met people, and I know people that had bad fathers, absentee fathers, abusive fathers, just careless fathers, fathers that prioritized work above their families. And so it's like, God, why would you choose to do father? But the truth is that any relationship that God uses as a picture of himself in the scripture he is the perfect version of that. If, if we are flawed fathers, God is the perfect father. And everything that your dad was not, God is. And if you're wounded from the relationship that you might have had with your dad, God is the perfect father that loves you in a way that no one else ever could. We're the bride of Christ. And it makes you think, well, some people have messed up marriages. Why would you say that? Because God is the perfect bridegroom. Jesus is the perfect example of of that. And so if you've wrestled with your relationship with God because you see that he's the father in scripture, don't compare God as father to your flawed father because he's the perfect father. And scripture tells us we know how much God loves us because he showed us by giving his son Jesus on the cross. And as myself, I'm becoming a father. I'm learning more about how much God loves me because I cannot wait to see that little girl in December, and meet her, and, uh, but already just how much I love her now, it's making me realize how much more God loves me than I even understood. That's how much God loves you, more than you could understand. And all these things that we've talked about today, that God cares about our attitude more than he cares about our action, 
and that God cares that we do the right thing and that God cares about reconciliation and forgiveness, those things are not because those are just the rules that he wants to set up. It's because he cares about us and he loves us and he wants what's best for us. Not just because he's like, hey, what are some good rules I can give the humans? He's like, those are my kids and I love them and I want what's best for them. And so because of that, I'm going to require of them what's going to be for their good. Forgiveness and reconciliation is for your good. Doing the right thing is for your good. Imagine Onesimus comes back home. They reconcile the guilt, the shame. You know when you've wronged someone or you, you're in a weird relationship with someone and you see him, you're like, hey, hey, and you try and like dodge him. Onesimus feels that way. Imagine that moment when he finally makes it right and he can see Onesimus or he can see Philemon and he can hug him. Imagine the freedom of that forgiveness and of that reconciliation. It's what God does for us. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. That our sin and our shame that was offensive to him he has forgiven us, and now we can run to our Father God going, you love me, wow. And we love because he first loved us. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.